Well, good morning, everybody. I know that we have, uh, we'll have a crew that will gradually come in, and people will be taking their dogs for exercise. But thank you for being here. This is our third session uh, of uh, learning together here as we uh, prepare ourselves to uh, ponder and discern and ask of God and one another and our community uh, what the future of our block might be. Uh, just to offer a little bit of recap, uh, at the end of 2018, put together a steering committee uh, who would uh, help steer the process uh, that we imagined over many years um, to discern the future of our block. And just to go back one more step, in case you're not aware of why we would uh, wish to do that at this point. Uh, since 1903, uh, since we were gifted land in this part of uh, the city, which at that point, of course, was out in the outskirts, we've been trying to purchase more and more parcels. And you may have well have been here, maybe even been involved with the decisions to uh, secure each uh, parcel of this block. And just at the, right, right at the end of my predecessor, Jeffrey Hall's tenure as rector, we were able to secure those final two lots. And there was a wonderful Buy the Block campaign, only possible because of um, generosity of this wonderful parish. And so the, the sites were very clear that when uh, a new rector was called and arrived that we would then discern together what we might do in terms of the shape of the block. And part of that is driven by the fact that if you walk uh, to the corner or just sort of uh, you may know the properties already, that this, this corner by Covenant Community on Spring and North Avenue has a lot of mixed uses at the moment. Um, we had therefore engaged in this process and decided fairly quickly we needed to learn together all that was happening. We've had two sessions. One focused on an awful lot of um, uh, building that's going on, including right behind me, there are, I think I counted five cranes in the site yesterday up from the attic. Um, you could count that many cranes. Uh, the headquarters of uh, Norfolk Southern, of course, will be built across the street. And Midtown Alliance was one of the groups that we uh, met with, and we shared that with you, that something like, a, I think it was something like 24 building projects um, in the pipeline for our part of Midtown. We talked to various other people who could share uh, what really is in many ways a tech corridor behind us, all sorts of um, corporations and of course Georgia Tech wanting to help us be a hub for innovation nationally and internationally. We also talked and we shared some of that in our second session with various institutional partners, Georgia Tech being one of them, the largest sort of present institution in this part of the city but also Emory and their healthcare system, not only their current uh, healthcare facilities down the road at Emory Midtown, but their future uh, planned growth of that. Um, there are other institutions uh, within the area. Um, we've talked to Marta, you would just like to share that there is a request for proposals uh, for the North Avenue Marta station, which will come to, that, that window closes at the end of this calendar year, at least maybe the third week of December. And so something will happen across the street at the Marta station. It may be, at the least, a beautification of that station, or it could be a whole lot more than that. Um, the, the, the Cliff Notes version of all of this is simply changes happening all around us at an incredibly rapid pace. Um, 
I got, and I'll share more of this next time, I got to be part of a conference as a presenter of the Endowed Parishes Network, the SEEP Network, sharing about our work and hearing about other churches' projects, and we'll share that in our final session. Um, all this to say that um, this kind of change uh, happening in Atlanta also skews towards certain demographics, and it's interesting that we are in the heat map. There's a heat map of millennials, and All Saints is just in the bottom left-hand corner of the highest concentration of millennials in Atlanta. 10,000 jobs uh, arriving in Midtown down this corridor and on and on. So lots of activity around us. The second half of our sessions wanted to explore what we call service agencies, and that's just a, a phrase that tries to capture um, both faith-based service agencies and non-faith-based service agencies. And it's a, there's an incredible amount of work that's gone on so far, um, and I want to give thanks for Elizabeth Robertson and Wendy Silliman, who are going to share more about that journey of learning um, through which you can, and you can follow along, along and keep this uh, handout with you. But we're going to hear uh, this morning about all that we have learned uh, from those service agencies here in our part of Atlanta and also a little bit beyond. So I will hand over to my two fine friends here. Is this working? Good. Well, Wendy and I had the privilege of talking with over or contacting over 40 agencies, service agencies, nonprofits, religious affiliated and non-religious affiliated in the community. And but we, before we did talk to those outside All Saints, we felt it was very important for us to really have a good conversation with our four core ministries that we currently support. Those, of course, are Midtown Assistance Center, Covenant Community, Refugee Ministries, and Threads. And it was interesting when we talked with them that I will say that their concerns and issues were right up there with everybody else's. But just as a, uh, for those of you who aren't totally familiar with those four core ministries, Midtown Assistance Center was started here in the early 1980s. It was, and just as All Saints has done on a number of partnerships over the years, it's a combination of nine churches and congregations in the predominantly the Midtown area with the sole mission to prevent homelessness, to help people from, keep people from falling between the cracks because the journey from homelessness to recovery is around seven to eight years and what Matt tries very hard and very successfully to keep people from falling through the cracks and becoming homeless. Then the Covenant Community, which started actually as a night shelter. After about 10 years as a night shelter, Covenant Community translate, transferred into being what was called Rise and Shine, uh, offering showers and laundry facilities and that type thing, which then, and that was under Martha Stern's leadership, became, that was where the, the original Covenant community was started. That, that has always resided on our block. Midtown Assistance Center, or MAC, started out in what was the Chinese restaurant, which was on the, the playground of the Children's Center, and then at the time we needed to claim that space to build a Children's Center, they moved to First United Methodist Church, where they currently are. Then we have uh, Refugee Ministries, which also has a long history. Most of the activity with the Refugee Ministries 
does take place away from our campus, but a lot of activity and a lot of energy on this campus generates and keeps that program vibrant and, and strong to this day. And that was also in the 80s. And then, of course, we have our centennial celebration gift to the community, which is Threads. And in celebration of our centennial, we talked to a lot of neighbors and friends to say what, to ask, what is a needed ministry? And actually, Dorothy Chandler, I think, at Mac was the one who said, you know, there are a lot of needs, but one need is a place that children can get clothes and feel good about themselves when they do that. There are, a lot, there are a lot of clothing ministries, but there's really not one quite like Threads where children who've, and parents, many who've never been in a store to buy for children, can come into Threads and they really can. We, the whole mission of Threads is to clothe children with dignity. But Wendy, we had a list that we compiled of varied and sundry contacts and suggestions from some of you about whom to contact in the, in the nonprofit or the service world. And we asked all of them the same questions. Primarily, what are your biggest hurdles and challenges? And what do you see as the biggest unmet needs in our community? And it was striking that, particularly in the ones, we, we kind of divided it up, so we talked to a lot of people. It's striking how even those who didn't have an immediate concern that was of the same concern as other agencies, they spoke for each other. This is a tight community. They know each other, they know about each other, and they support each other. And that was, that was really um, a very affirming in our process to hear that people felt comfortable speaking not only what they needed, but what others needed as well. And there are so many overlaps and so many parallels. And Wendy's gonna talk a little bit about those and I will probably chime in on a couple of them as well. So, Ruth, you wanna? Um, there are two statistics that I'd like for you to really keep in mind when you hear these results, because they, they are sort of the theme of the results. One is Atlanta has the largest income gap of any major city in the country. The second one is that one in four Atlantans lives below the poverty line, one in four. So, you know, we've got this major boom going on along Spring Street. We've got a, a good, you know, 24% of Atlantans are below the poverty line. Where are they? What are they experiencing? So with those two statistics, you can guess what the answers were from all the agencies that we spoke with. The number one issue was affordable housing. Um, you know, as the boom is going on, the gentrification is going on, the cost of living in Atlanta is going up, and there is no place for the one in four who are below the poverty line and the people who are just barely above the poverty line for them to live. Um, we saw the, the specific type of examples that were given to us about affordable housing came in, um, for instance, Gateway says, um, we can give people a voucher that will 100% pay for their apartment, but we have no place to send them. There just is not enough low-income housing in the city of Atlanta. There is not enough subsidized housing. Um, there's also not enough shelter space, particularly for women um, with large families. 
um, and you you came across a story well, about um, that, that you there's a, a, a house called Nicholas House and it is one of the few if only places where a family can stay intact and be in a space where they have a key that they can lock a door it's it's I mean and I'm, we're talking about a space about the size of this platform but what that means is when you have a teenager who might have aged out of normal of typical housing that teenager can still stay with the mother and the siblings and what have you and but I, I was struck when I went actually when I went to see the per person at Nicholas house who said nobody else will everybody else splits up families in the in the in so many places when they've got particularly if they've got a child who's got any health issues it doesn't matter its age the um, if you have any interest in that issue um, Google um, New Republic did an article about the housing issue in Atlanta in the last month or two um, and it is powerful what someone grappling with that issue what happens to them as they try to resolve the issue particularly when they have kids of different ages um, so the second issue is education, 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 education. Um, several people, including Russ Harden back there, mentioned um, a statistic, and I, I spoke with um, uh, the president of Spelman College about this yesterday, that um, if you look at third grade, which is the, the age when if you're going to learn to read, you, you learn to read by then, S while 70% of white kids in Atlanta can read by thir by third grade. That's my dog over there, by the way, so you'll probably <laughs> hear her. Um, <laughs> but um, while 70% of white children can read by the third grade in Atlanta, less than 20% of black kids or Latino kids can read uh, in the third grade in Atlanta. That's a crisis, and how to address that as something that many organizations are, are currently grappling with. And we've seen that we need more after school care, we need more summer programs, we need more um, early childhood programs, um, and we need more tutoring. Um, and there, you know, even folks are playing with the idea of doing digital tutoring uh, where you could be anywhere with your computer and reach out to a child and help them with their particular needs. Um, so that's the second one. The third one is jobs. Um, you know, these folks get in these shelters. They don't have, um, you know, they're, they're not trained to do anything. They, um, they're, they're really, they want to, the, the ones who are able-bodied, who, who are not experiencing mental health issues or whatever, they want to try and work and finding jobs for that population is very difficult. Um, the fourth area is health and wellness, and that breaks down to, we heard about the need for additional mental health services and also more drug rehabilitation programs. Um, what Covenant does is awesome, and what they're doing with their day program is awesome. If you haven't heard about that, I, I, I think um, that's just some great news about what is going on on our block right now. Um, but more resources are needed for that area. Uh, and then the final area that we heard from is that as the cost of real estate in the Atlanta area is going up and is worth more, 
nonprofits are really struggling to keep the spaces that they have or to find spaces or to be able to pay their rent. So we, we, we definitely heard an outcry in that area. Not saying that any of that has to be done on our block, but we were just looking at what the needs are of the Midtown and the Downtown Atlanta community. Just to share briefly about the Covenant Community Day program, they are essentially piloting for a series of years a recovery community organization, an RCO, uh, and they've secured a healthy amount of funding for that, and, and you will be able to witness that over in Tate Hall building spaces. Um, those spaces are being, some of them are being uh, renovated with that money. Uh, but it's allowing for Covenant Day programs, so not its residential recovery program for a dozen or so men, but hundreds uh, of people within Metro Atlanta, particularly helped by the fact that um, we have a public transit system called so limited in Atlanta, but happens to be one across the street from our address that is uh, very helpful in making that kind of uh, a day program available to a much larger number of people. Um, Please do speak to, in fact, there's a couple of Covenant community, uh, Ellen and Ann Stewart, uh, are here. Please do speak to them afterwards. Uh, you're always welcome to, to speak to Jonathan Davis. Uh, Sheldon Taylor is chair of the board. Uh, and you would be very welcome as a parishioner of All Saints simply to say, could I come over and see it and learn about it for myself? Um, and we'll, we'll share more about that. We're not quite ready to, to share pictures of the space and so on because it's not yet completed in terms of its renovation, but it's exciting work ahead. Thank you. Um, even though we do have MARTA across the street from us and a lot of people can come to our campus on, on MARTA, a need that we found from a number of sources was the in-between transportation. Or, for example, a child who has a medical appointment at CHOA, they can get a the parents can get a voucher for transportation for a parent and child to go, say, from Conyers to CHOA on Druid Hills. But they can only get it for the parent and the child. And there are limits on that what do you do about the siblings, which kind of seems petty in one hand. I mean, you understand the other. But there are a lot of, uh, that, was the transport, that was the transportation issue was difficult. Also, what the, when, and I think that was the shelter, women's shelter at North Avenue Press, the person there was telling me that they get jobs for the moms, who are predominantly moms there. The children are in school. Summer comes, or a two-week Christmas break comes. The parents have nowhere for the children to go, and it's really more common in the summer. So the parents quit the jobs because they have another, no alternative for their children. And then at the end of the summer, where they're barely hanging on, if they're hanging on at all, they start back on the cycle of trying to find a job, getting the children settled in school. And that, that's an alternative, children-related issues, whether it's babies with daycare so that parents can go to work, whether it's after-school programs, tutoring or whatever. That cropped up so many times among, among the people with whom we spoke that 
that it's that in-between time. And any, anybody who's ever been a working parent, whether you have resources or not, you know it's a challenge. Imagine what the challenge is when you don't have resources and you don't drive or you don't have a car. So there's lots of things that just stack against these parents. And, um, you know, when, I, when Al Robertson buys a lottery ticket and we win the lottery, we're going to help with a lot of those issues. But in the meantime, that's something to, um, that we all need to consider. So we, I, I want to share um, probably in the last few minutes uh, about next time and just sort of plant a seed about next year, but we do have some time now both for questions uh, related to what you've heard, but also for um, uh, comments, uh, insights that you have. I say very often uh, to people about All Saints that actually are, even in a place with booming uh, booming real estate activity around us, our most valuable asset, to use that word, are the people of this parish in terms of the network that they represent. And what I mean by that is that for a church that has all sorts of connections uh, with Atlanta, that is involved in so many organizations, there's so much good that you contribute to, and of course people who are not in the room. But I do want to invite you either, if you have questions of Wendy or Elizabeth or myself, but also comments that you wish to share, insights that you have because of your uh, work or your volunteering experience. So what I will do is I will wander around because, and we'll use the microphone, it is hard to, um, we don't pick up your question in the recording um, if it's not mic'd. So if you have any questions or comments, I will gladly come to you. Sim. Um, I'm really glad to hear this conversation, both as a someone who works with a service providing organization um, and as a member of that one in four group. I'm one of the questions that I have, uh, because I think this is a really valuable piece of experience for really anyone to have, is it, I'm so glad to hear that y'all have been speaking with the leadership of so many diverse organizations. What kind of exposure during that process did y'all have to not simply the service providers, but those who received services um, and what was that experience like? And how, how is it shaping the process? So um, I'll confess with some of the organizations, we did not. Some of the organizations, just by virtue of our involvement with them, we, we have had it. And you are totally 100% right. That's what it's all about. Um, it's a profound impact to see the person who is struggling and the, the utter frustration that they are feeling because they can't have a, a stable home. Um, it is frustrating because they can't find a job. Um, the, the folks who so want to learn, the, um, the fact that we have the ability the, the, to help them um, really be their best selves is a gift to us. Um, and so, yes, very important part. I, I, I'm putting this. Well, I have just a little anecdote that somewhat slants on that. Um, it's, a, it's a shelter program, and a young sixth grader would get off the bus, and the shelter's not identified, so you don't, when you drive down the road, you don't know what it is, and that's pretty common. She would get off the bus 
two blocks before she got to her shelter because she did not want anyone to know that she lived in a shelter. And she did that for weeks. And then one day, the cool girl in the eighth grade, who was also on her bus, got off when she got off two blocks earlier and followed her. And this little girl, the sixth grader, was a little bit nervous, but why is this cool girl following me home? And she said, and she stopped her, and the eighth grader stopped and said, I know what you're doing. It's okay. I lived here two years ago. And she said, this is, life is hard, but be proud that you have this place and you won't always be here. And I will never tell anyone. Just the kindness of that. And so this little, six, the, 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 as it was related to me, the sixth grader just cried that she had someone with whom she could share that burden. And that, that parallel for several years, that they became close friends and supporters and mentors of each other. So it, I mean, it was my new favorite place to visit, and it probably still is right up there in my top five. It's just a a witness to the fact that many people know from experience here and elsewhere that that service ministry in the life of the church and beyond, but certainly we understand the life of the church is not something that we, it's not a transactional thing that we give to others. It's a mutually transformative thing where we see a glimpse of the kingdom of God often uh, through the lives of children, but not, of course, exclusively. Thank you, Katie. So I have not done the kind of research that y'all have, and I'm grateful that y'all are doing it. Um, but what I do, what I have read and understood of um, Atlanta's um, problems, I, I he, I've heard over and over again, read it, heard it, um, that we are the largest, if not the second largest um, city in the world for human trafficking because of our airport. And I'm just wondering to what extent um, your extensive research, you know, are, are these problems connected or did you hear about that I mean I feel like when I read about Atlanta and crises and um, that that is always on the you know top three list because of um, that's what I've been told but I could be completely wrong that's just I feel like I've heard that so um, yesterday I was talking with someone from the blank foundation who uh, the, the blank foundation is sort of spearheading um, some work in that and everything I asked her about it I was totally off base in what I had heard because I always thought we were the, the leading sex trafficking um, place in the country because of the airport. And she was like, no, so much of it is happening in Buckhead. Um, and that uh, they, they lead their efforts from the west side um, because that's often where the victims are. Um, but they said you have to go after it from the 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 areas where the, the people who have the money to buy it are. So um, it is something that, that we've heard about. Um, I'm sure the poverty is, um, is in part why the, the victims are out there, but the, it, it is something that they have to ap approach from the folks who have the demand. 
there is an organization, that's Wellspring, as some of you might be familiar with that, that has done a lot of work to help people who have been involved in sex trafficking get out of that. And they also have a program, which I just learned about Friday or Thursday, in fact, uh, to help, and they do help with, you know, getting your, first of all, getting your confidence up enough to be able to know that you have worth and, and to go forward, and but with job training and with all of that, and I'm going to actually reach out to them this week because I want to know more about them because they have two, two, two totally different experiences with their client group, and they were, that was, that was recommended by, um, I can't remember who recommended that, but also the Zabin Parody Center, which is at the Temple, um, a, a suggestion that was given. They are, if, for those of you who are not familiar with that, they have 20 couples. They're the only couples shelter. They will house 20 couples for six months, and I think it's a five-year gap before you can go back for a second year, but they do all sorts of training, support, resources, and everything during those six months. And when I, right when I was talking with that person, I had a great conversation with her, and then right before we were about to stop, she said, and you know what somebody needs to do? And I said, what? And she said, somebody needs to do housing for seniors on Social Security. It doesn't have to, you know, because she said, they take up, she said, we have the hardest time finding housing for our, our clientele group. But she said, if we could, if there was some place or some groups that had housing for the seniors, then that would open up housing for younger families. So just, you know, a, a senior specific. So that kind of made me realize I want to check and to see what, in, follow up with that and see what indeed is there out there. I know there has been, a, there's a high rise on tenth, I think, that's the senior housing, but I don't know what their parameters are. But, but that was an interesting observation that she said, if you could find a dedicated space that all of us who work with seniors could go there, she said they're pretty low maintenance and they're not as unattractive, quite frankly, as young families with children. So. Emma. Well, first, I just want to say thank you. You guys have done a, a lot of work <laughs> on our behalf, and we really appreciate that. Um, one thing, as you're talking, Wendy, about that article in the New Republic, I'm reminded of a book I just read that I think many of us have read, Evicted. Um, if you haven't seen that, I'll commend that to you as well. But one thing that strikes me is that so much of this frustration and this sort of, you know, tangle of, of barriers that people are faced with as they're trying to find housing, particularly if they have children, really is wrapped up in, in laws and policies that we have. So, so I, one thing that always strikes me when we're talking about this is the, the need um, and, and the potential and the opportunity that we have as people of faith to be speaking to some of the people that are responsible for creating those laws or untangling some of those laws. And there are things like, um, you know, the fact that there's real, real disincentives in laws and policies for women to call and report abusive situations because that could lead very rapidly to their eviction. And that's just, you know, as a Christian, that's sort of, I mean, it's wrong, and it's, it's something that I think we can have a say in, and I think if we work on the ways that we as Christians can be involved in, you know, making Caesar's world a little more like God's world, we can have 
even more of an impact with some of the things we want to do that are sort of more strictly service. You know, otherwise, I feel like, not that we shouldn't throw the starfish back into the ocean, but we are faced a little bit with, you know, we're spitting into the wind at some level. So I'd, I'd like to suggest that we also reach out to those political representatives that represent, you know, our neighborhood or some of these constituencies that we're really concerned about and, and see what we can do to sort of be involved in those conversations as well. I think it's part of our responsibility and it's a huge opportunity we have as an endowed parish and in sort of the seats that we sit in, I think we would have a really big voice and I'd love to see us see what we can do to try to you know, untangle some of these things that we know as Christians just are sort of wrong or bad and <laughs> need, need to be addressed. Thank you, Emily. I'm actually gonna draw the line there so we can be on time, uh, but do engage a conversation. Just to follow up on that, last point from Emily, is the vestry formed a committee that is in a stage of trying to try to name its work for itself over the next several months called a Committee for Faith and Public Life. And um, we'll be thinking through the fall in preparation for 2020 of how we do engage in our faith in public life. And so that's a great, uh, a great sort of raising up of that, that question for all of us uh, and an important one. Um, so I do want to encourage two things. One is if you um, know of somebody, so there's this sort of, uh, there's your, um, the standard a bit of help, and then there's like the gold standard of help. The standard bit of help is to say, you know, I know somebody who could be really good to talk to. Um, here, here's who they are, and then we follow up, and that's wonderful. The gold standard of help would be, I know somebody who could really be helped in this conversation. I'll talk to them, and I'll find out some things, and I'll have a conversation, and I'll get back to you and see if there's more that you might learn by meeting them. In other words, it's an invitation for you to take up this work yourself, because probably we could do this for another six months. There's so many, um, so many wonderful organizations, so much need out there, uh, so many ways in which, in Beekner's words, our great passion meets the world's great needs. Please do take these um, handouts with you. They'll also be online. You'll see the list of organizations on the inside pages. Just a note you'll see on the back page, it's a, a, an eye to what is happening next. And you'll see there's a picture, it's one of my favorite pictures from the archive uh, that All Saints has, and it's the laying of our, uh, our cornerstone, if you like, our foundation. Uh, and I love the fact that there's one generation to the next. There's a little girl there with the, I think it's the trowel, and um, they're, they're there at the beginning of things for this community as we think about our next legacy project. So we've been intentionally learning together, but not dreaming together yet, but we're gonna do that next year. Uh, but I want to just plant those seeds for you that we are thinking about our next 60 years. We've, we're, we're gonna turn 120 uh, in uh, 2023, just around the corner. So we'll have finished our first two 60-year periods of existence. We really are thinking about this, and the invitation next year will be to think about this as our next 60 years. Of course, we can't predict, we can't even predict, you know, 10 years from now in terms of technology or how the world will look geopolitically. It's more that we wish to be around 60 years from now and be vibrant and have that kind of arc in our vision and, and think well beyond just the immediate years. So I do encourage you in the intermediate time between this and our last session 
Uh, if you know of any churches, certainly if you know any service agencies, please do feed that back to us. Help us continue this work. As we move to our final uh, session of learning from other churches, if you know of any, um, anywhere in the country and also beyond, we have looked at churches in uh, Canada um, and certainly we're interested in churches in Europe uh, or Australasia, anywhere really. If you know of a church uh, that would be a good example for us to learn from and to be in conversation with, please do let us know. Our intention next year is that we engage the whole parish in this discernment work. And that'll take a long time and a lot of conversation, but that is our intention, that we will try to have been engaged with everybody that calls this church home, including our youngest children, that we've got a lot of really creative people that work with children, people who are part of this parish but are homebound. So not just the people that we see on a Sunday. Also, we want to be engaged with our local community. And that local community is very local and then much more widespread. So that's essential for us that we have this twin process. So just want to plant that seed. And again, if they, there's somebody that you think we should meet or get to know, um, that is our, our desire. Lastly, I will share next time what our process will be in terms of each of the steps, that sequence of events, and who the constituents will be in terms of other groups that we will form to help us do this work. Um, so thank you very much, particularly somehow you've managed to, maybe all the pet, no, thank you, you've got words of uh, magic here that the, uh, that the dogs have kept quiet and still. Um, please do engage uh, Wendy and Elizabeth, and would you join me in thanking them for their presentation. Thank you.